Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. All right, good morning. Our scripture this morning is from 2 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 18. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Today we're in our second week in our new series, Blessed Are the Peacemakers. Uh, last week we talked about how we can find peace with God. And peace with God comes not through our achievements or our accolades, but comes through the generous mercy of, uh, given through Christ, who looks upon us with delight. Today we're going to turn the conversation to a second step that oftentimes uh, many Christians over, overlook. Uh, before we go into this world, commission as peacemakers... Before we go in this world with the hopes of fostering peace, we need to find peace within ourselves. Oftentimes, we might theologically believe that in Christ that we've been given peace, we have peace with God, and therefore we're sent into this world to make peace. But before we go into this world, we need to allow peace to be embedded within us, absolutely uh, meeting us in the deepest needs of our hearts, transforming us from the inside out. Because this idea of finding peace with God and finding peace with ourselves is not some new age woo-woo idea. It's, they're deeply interconnected. Thomas Merton, I love this quote, uh, talking about how these two things are interconnected. There is only one problem on which all of my existence, my peace, my happiness depend, to discover myself in discovering God. And if I find him, I will find myself. And if I find my true self, I will find him. For Merton... For Merton, uh, our peace is dependent upon one task, not two, one task that are interconnected, and they're mysteriously bound together in the sacred thing, that the more we know of God, the more that we will know of ourselves. And God's plan is not to make us cookie cutter all the same person, but unique, beautifully unique for each of us. The more we know God, the more we will know ourselves. but also the more we discover ourselves, the more we will understand and the greater the view of God will be in our life. And Merton says a byproduct of these two different things, this awareness, is peace. I think it's sad, but I think many of us have found peace with God, but struggle to have peace within. Because we're riddled with internal conflicts, we have our past that we're trying to deal with, we have shame that we carry with us, the mistakes that we've made, cycles of brokenness that we seem to live in, and many of us just feel stuck. Sure, God loves me, but I don't feel at peace in myself. Last week, we talked about there's power in God's face towards us. And this is how we 
discover pieces that God's view view of us is actually of joy and of delight. But the problem for many of us is not believing that God's view of us is this way, but it's actually our view of ourself. Be honest. Who, uh, who actually likes to look in the mirror? Who, who doesn't have some sort of narrative that rolls through their mind when they look in the mirror? Uh, Nick Kroll, comedian Nick Kroll said, it seems like only two people like looking in the mirror and like what they see. It's Lizzo and it's this guy. You know, this guy, we all, we all know him. It's like he always looks at his, like the sun hitting his eyes no matter where he goes. He's just like that, <laughs> touching his chest unnecessarily, you know. It's this guy that probably looks in the mirror and is like, nailed it. <laughs> Let's do it, Jake, right? Instead, I, like many of you, when I look in the mirror, I have other narratives going through my mind. This is what usually goes through my mind if I'm going to be honest. It's this. Well, well, well. Look who we have here. Something like, uh, still going with this look? Yeah, you don't have friends who are like stepping in and telling you it's time to cut your hair? That's that kind of stuff that goes through my, my mind. In this journey of discovering inner peace, a necessary step that we have to have is learning to accept ourselves for who we are right now. Self-acceptance is a complicated thing for Christian folk because oftentimes you were taught, we were taught, that if we truly accepted ourselves, that would give us license to do whatever we wanted to. If we truly accepted ourselves, that means we have now permission to perpetuate problems and sin in our world and sin in our lives. Uh, but that's a different kind of acceptance that we're talking about. And that's, that's not what we're, uh, self-acceptance does not lead to that. It's actually modeled by the acceptance that we have experienced in Christ. Uh, we have these words, that to accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. How can we learn to accept other people if we've not learned to receive and accept ourselves, just like Christ did? And notice this isn't to, you know, give us license to live however we want to. This acceptance will lead to praise to God. That's the unfolding of this kind of gracious view of ourselves. This is the power of God's grace. As we read in our journals this past week, I love this quote from Anne Lamott. She said, I do not at all understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are, but it does not leave us where it found us. Christ's grace, Christ's acceptance, it meets you where you are, your unfinished self, your incomplete self. But this grace loves you too much just to leave you there. This grace invites you in this grand journey of becoming. This kind of grace fuels that long and winding journey of becoming the true you. And the first step of this journey is that of acceptance. Author David Benner, he wrote this book called The Gift of Being Yourself, which I highly recommend. And in it, he said this, long quote, warning, uh, Self-transformation is always preceded by self-acceptance. And the self that you must accept is the self that you actually are, truly are, before you start your self-improvement projects. Reality must be embraced before it can be changed. Our knowing of ourselves remains superficial until we are willing to accept ourselves as God accepts us, fully and unconditionally, just as we are. Until we are prepared to accept the self we actually are, we block God's, tr- God's transforming 
work of making us into our true self that is hidden in God. If this is true, if to step into inner peace we need to first accept the incomplete version of ourself, if this is true, that that's the only way we step into the light of God's transforming power, I think we need to rediscover what does it mean to actually welcome us like we are a stranger into ourself, gently, kindly, warmly. If we are not willing to do that, we will hinder the transforming work of being made true, our true self, hidden in Christ. This journey to discover inner peace, I think, is actually really connected to some theological words that uh, I'd like for us to dust off if you've been around church for a while or introduce you if you're new to church. Two different words. Justification is this idea of being, finding peace with God. It's being made right with God. The other side of that is this word sanctification. Oftentimes the way I was taught is sanctification is becoming less sinful, like making less mistakes, like you know, checking the box a little bit better. But I'd like to offer a different definition and understanding. It's not about sinning less or being more moral or more uh, being a better version of ourselves. I think sanctification is the Spirit's work of unveiling who you really are. It's the Spirit's work of actually revealing the you that God created you to be. And it's this long, never-ending process of discovering our true selves in the light of Christ. Paul says it beautifully in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. To set up this passage, it's a little bit complicated, but Paul is comparing the work of the Old Testament to what Jesus' spirit is now doing. He's juxtaposing the law to the spirit. And so what he's saying in this chapter is that if we really are to be transformed, the law is incapable of doing that. The law cannot help us discover inner peace. In fact, the law brings about death, a sense of judgment, the perpetual failure that we are living in, the inability to live out the goodness that we know we want to. But Jesus has opened us up a new way. This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 17. Now, The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom. For a community that was bound by the law, the Spirit is here to give freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, contemplate. Another definition or translation of this word contemplate is to reflect. We're here to reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The goal of the Spirit is to deliver us, to free us, to unveil our faces. Remember the conversation last week about the power of actually believing that God's face towards you is that of joy and delight, about being able to see that face. Here, what Paul is writing about is that Part of our transformation is our faces being unveiled. This is how we find peace. This is the other half of that equation. One is understanding God's face towards you is that of delight. The other part of it is our transformation of being unveiled. Our work is not to become a better version of ourself, but a truer version of ourself. So we draw close to the Spirit who unveils our faces so there's no longer any barrier between us and God. Now we, can, now we can contemplate, we can reflect God's goodness and glory in our life, now without covering, without any barrier. And this is how we are being transformed slowly, 
more subtly into the likeness of Jesus. I love how Eugene Peterson, he translated this verse in his uh, message version of the Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17 and on. Nothing between us and God, our faces shining with the brightness of his face. And so we are transfigured or transformed, much like the Messiah, our lives gradually becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters our lives, and we become like him. Do you see how this mirrors in many ways Merton's quote of the great, the thing that will provide peace in our life is one thing, discovering God, discovering ourself. Do we see how it mirrors this in many ways? That our transformation is being unveiled, reflecting, taking in Christ. This is how we truly show ourselves, but also this is how we transform into our Savior, more like our Savior. This is how we learn to follow Jesus, his affections and his life. This, it's in this unveiling we become our true self and we become more whole people. So much of peace is learning what to do with all of those veils that cover us, all the things that we, we, we put over ourselves to make ourselves just able to, to thrive in this world, able to get through these days, unveiling the religious self, unveiling the secret self, the successful self, the wounded self, the fearful self, and then gently bringing all of those selves to the transforming power of Christ. I know this is a bit esoteric, or maybe a little bit uh, like a counselor. <laughs> so I want to share an example of how Jesus did this. Uh, the conversation that Jesus had with a Samaritan woman at a well. Jesus was waiting by this well in the middle of the day where no one would wait for water or go get water. And in the heat of the day, this woman showed up. She showed up because she was thirsty. And Jesus has this beautiful conversation, this beautiful interaction with her. And in this interaction, Jesus moves through all the divisions that were between Jesus and this woman, the racial and the ethnic division, the social division, even a man and a woman talking like this. And through that conversation, Jesus walks this woman into her own thirst. And this woman actually said, I, I want this living water that you're speaking of. And many of us would think, all right, that's when Jesus is going to seal the deal, make this offer. She's going to raise her hand in the back of the road in the service. I'm a Christian. I'm going to walk the aisle, whatever it might be, that this is, this is the interaction that's going to happen. But instead, this is what Jesus says to her. Go call your husband and come back. This woman responded, I have no husband. You're right. When you say you have no husband, Jesus said, the fact is that you've had five husbands, and the man you are now have is not your husband. What you've said is actually quite true. After working through all of those barriers, Jesus brings up this place of social stigma and shame. And as you might imagine, this woman responds by like doing the stiff arm, <laughs> like taking a step back from Jesus, defensively pushing back. Why would Jesus do this? Why would Jesus, in this interaction, this woman who's vulnerable, why would he poke at this place of insecurity and shame? Well, it was actually a thing of love that Jesus was doing. Jesus wanted her secret life drawn out, like this water from a deep well. Jesus wanted to draw out every bit of her, all of the selves that this woman had, so that this veil of her private life Potentially, the insecurity that continues to drive her into the arms of a different lover could be drawn up and drawn out. Because 
It would have been dangerous for Jesus not to have this conversation with her. Why would it have been dangerous? Well, if she would have had this microwave exchange, this transaction of grace, and she walked away and going, oh, Jesus has forgiven me. This man, he, he met me. He said kind words. The thing that she would always be riddled by would be this. But what if he really knew me? Like, what if he knew every bit of me? Sure, he gave me grace in this interaction, but he did not know how broken my life was. But out of the love and the mercy of Jesus, Jesus drew up that veil, drew up that self, so that Jesus could not shame her, but meet her with grace and love and tenderness even there. Jesus wanted to unveil her face so that she would know that she was fully known and fully accepted and loved and received in mercy. And that's, that's what happened. Jesus drew that out and displayed his grace towards her and called her into living a new life. And her response was this. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who did what? Who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And so they came out of the town and made their way towards him. Notice what set her free was not just the the words of grace and mercy, but the fact that Jesus displayed that I know every bit of you, and my grace is going to go all the way in. I'm going to claim you fully, fully. And it's in that knowing of herself that peace, you have to imagine, peace and deliverance was released within her. By the grace of God, Jesus wants to do the same thing for each of us, just as he did for this woman. Jesus wants to shine uh, a light upon all the parts of us that we seek to hide or ignore, the overly competitive part of you, the jealous part, the unforgiving, the wounded part. We might think that our job as Christians is, or followers of Jesus or people who are trying to figure out their way through life, we might think that our job in this life is to ignore all those parts and deny them. But what actually Jesus might want to do is for us to bring all of those parts into his presence and so that we could acknowledge them and learn from them. Why am I that, com- that competitive? Why am I that jealous? Why am I in this cycle of pain that I feel like I can't get out of? Why have I become jaded? And as we invite all of those parts of us to Christ, I think Jesus will gently take these veils and teach us who we really are. Another quote by David Benner. Christian spirituality involves acknowledging all of our part selves, exposing them to God's love, and letting him weave them into a new person he is making. To do this, we must be willing to welcome these ignored parts as full members of the family of self, giving them space at the family table and slowly allowing them to be softened and healed by love and integrated into the whole person we are becoming. This is what I mean by sanctification. It's the process of salvation permeating all of our personhood, removing the parts of us that are false and not true, and integrating the other parts that are fractured and ignored. Sanctification is not our success in battling sin. That's a byproduct of something else. It's living honestly and openly in the light of Jesus that will make us 
whole and pure that will allow the radiance of God's goodness and glory to permeate our being. Our focus is not on our performance, but it is on our dependence upon the Spirit's presence and work that wants to gradually make us new. This is the difference between being and doing. Jesus longs for us to be beings who are made whole and new. Now, if you are a part of our community or know our community, you know we're going to turn this conversation now to how do we actually do this? All right, it's great ideas, but how do we actually live this out? Uh, How do we actually take these practices and try to discover and foster an inner peace? Well, um, just a warning, though we all want peace, not all of us want to do the work that requires for us to allow peace to be made in us, made whole in us. This is a quote from uh, Hebrews 12, 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. So here are some disciplines that can train us towards peace. And I want you to notice how they allow us to know ourselves and knowing God. First, it's silence and prayer. If we want inner peace, I don't know any way for us to do this if that doesn't include silence and prayer. We need to learn in silence to befriend our soul. That means being at home with ourselves when we have silenced all distractions and stepped off the busyness of treadmill that we spend our days on. Uh, Many of us find it very, very anxious, anxious to be in silence. Many of us have difficulty just stopping and being slow. I know for me, I have this complicated relationship with it. Like I love like a monastic life, and I'm also like a middle schooler with a cell phone. Like I, I want to be more like that, but I have a difficulty living like it. Um, but for us to learn to be- behold Christ before we can be unveiled and display who we really are and contemplate and reflect Jesus, we need to learn to befriend silence and prayer, especially for a culture like ours that has such a distaste for it. It actually robs us of our peace. I like a word picture that silence and stillness has for us in this. Uh, I think it was um, Henry Nouwen. He says that by us learning to live with silence and stillness, it's like us raking the leaves off a pathway to our soul. Every day the wind blows and the leaves fall and the pathway gets covered up and oftentimes it's hard to know the way back to our soul. But in silence and stillness, we learn to rake, slowly rake off this pathway so that we can discover our soul again. And what we will find is that Jesus is waiting for us there with a gift of peace. Our inability to be able to be still, to experience silence, I just think there's just piles of leaves <laughs> that comes before us and we just don't even know our way back to ourselves again. But Jesus is a good shepherd. Jesus longs to show us the way back to our soul again, for us to discover peace with Christ. So silence and prayer will be a a practice for that. Also connected to that is Sabbath and rest. The habit of Sabbath and rest is crucial in our world that's set on an ungodly pace. I think we collectively struggle with the Stockholm Syndrome, you know, the syndrome that makes it where the people who've been oppressed will actually end up defending their oppressors and captors. And I think the pace that we live in in this world is oppressive. It is absolutely oppressive. This pace of life is leaving us exhausted, frayed, empty, and joyless. But 
we end up being afraid of the very opposite thing. We become afraid of stopping. We scroll our way through our days without ever longing to stop for inner peace. Uh, In the Old Testament, I actually, when you look at the Old Testament and the calls to the practice of Sabbath, you'll find a phrase that is often linked with the, the commandment of Sabbath, and it's this. Remember, you were once enslaved. So the people of Israel, their practice of Sabbath is them remembering in Egypt how they were enslaved. And now this gift of Sabbath is the reminder, you're no longer an object of production. You're no longer an instrument. You're a beloved person who has been given the gift of Sabbath, of rest. It's a way of us rejecting any sort of culture that dehumanizes people and makes us into production things. The gift of Sabbath is a reminder of that. And so we say no to that. We experience the deliverance that the Spirit wants to do in us. And on the day of Sabbath, we remember to rest, to delight, to reconnect our soul. I know for me, anything that brings me back to life, that's what I want to do on the Sabbath. So the Sabbath for me includes, includes queso. Brings me back to life, guys. It includes that. includes games or pickleball or board games. It includes a lot of music. I actually like messing around in the yard. like doing. It might, you might consider it work, but for me, it brings me back to life. And it also includes stillness, prayer, maybe some worship, private worship to God. All of that stuff will just bring you back to life and brings you back to inner peace. This is the gift of Sabbath. The third thing that I would encourage us to exercise as we consider inner peace is confession. Confession. Confession is so much more than managing our sin. The deeper meaning of confession is sharing the veils that we commonly use. It's not about us returning to the law and just trying to be a better version of ourselves, just trying to muster up the strength to be more moral. No, it's actually about being honest with the veils that often cover us so that a friend or someone else can fulfill the ministry of Jesus to take that veil away. James 5:16 says, "Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed." The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Exposing ourselves to the light of Christ is powerful, and praying for each other is effective. In doing so, we are reminded of who we are. When trusted friends and I have done this together, and I'm someone who I, I have people I confess sins to as well, when we do this for with one another, our response to a prayer or, or confession is not uh, someone telling you, you just got to try harder. It's not a feeling of shame or you need to say 20 more prayers, or just simply don't do that again. It's someone gently and lovingly pulling off this veil so they can look at me face to face and go, this isn't who you are, Mark. This isn't who you are. That gives peace. That reminds you who you are becoming in the light of Christ. This is the gift of confession. And finally, a habit that brings inner peace is is adoration and worship. When we set our gaze upon Christ in worship and adoration, in our prayers of gratitude, something profound happens. Our souls begin to expand. The more we magnify Jesus, the greater our souls expand, and the more they are able to receive the peace that Christ longs to give us. Do you guys remember, for those who've been around church for a little bit, do you guys remember... 
your first time back in worship after the pandemic? You guys remember that? I mean, we had a year where, like, Katie and I were trying to figure out, and Derek, we're trying to figure out how to stream worship services. How long do we do that for? I don't know. Like, it's a time is really hard during COVID. If it could have been seven years, I don't know. But uh, it felt like forever that we were in our office or another place streaming, and I would be looking at the dead eye of a camera, preaching to it, going, is anyone listening to this, you know? And uh, when we got back together, even in the small place of Mercury Hall, especially when we went inside, I didn't realize how much I missed worship. Uh, All of us are wired different ways. I'm not necessarily someone, the worship is the thing that most touches me with God. Other things fill me as well. I, I like worship, though. But for me, coming back, and being in worship was deeply profound. And it wasn't so I could see the band play live or I could you know, be in the room with that. But it was the fact that I could hear other people sing. Because let's be honest, for some, many of us, when we're watching a worship service on your phone or laptop, I'm not sure about you, but the Charbonneau household wasn't singing in our living room. We were kind of like watching it, singing a little bit to ourselves, maybe fast-forwarding it sometimes, right? But when I got back in the room and I was a part of a chorus of voices who were worshiping God, adoring Christ, like just just want to say thank you to God, and my voice could just blend in with everyone else, I found it deeply powerful. Like it just released something in me, the privilege of worshiping a living God who actually delights in hearing my voice sing and our voice declare who God is. God is. So much peace is released when we are people who learn the practice of adoring and worshiping Christ. That's why what we do in this room, I think, is really, really meaningful. Because the more we magnify Jesus, the more our souls expand and we can experience the peace of Christ in our life. That we could be unveiled so that we can worship and reflect and contemplate who Christ is more and more. Silence, Sabbath, confession, worship. All are habits that foster deep inner peace. But we're also going to turn to this table now. We're going to do all four of these things. We're going to have some silence and some prayer. We're going to have the opportunity for confession and prayer with someone else over here. We're going to rest in the mercy of Jesus. And then we're going to respond in worship. And we're doing this because this is not just what church people do or what what we do together on a Sunday morning. We do this because this is how we find peace. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.